Hello and welcome to Southside Church Podcast. For information about our church located in Cape Town, South Africa, go and check out our website, southsidechurch.co.za. We trust that the message would inspire you today. And so it's so good that you can be with us today. And it's insane to think that technically today we're starting the first week of Advent. Okay, we're starting the first week of Advent. That's actually technically how it works. It's not next Sunday because I I don't understand, but the clever people told me that's right. So I think it's the first week of Advent. And and Advent uh, is a time of preparation and reflection. It comes from the word in the Latin, Adventus, which means the arrival. And Christmas is the time in which we remember the arrival of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now from next week, this little batch of what looks like gifts is going to begin to unravel. And each week I'm going to open a box like the Advent calendar, the countdown period. I don't know if we have it on our online and they can see it. Yes, they can. Thanks. So, so what we're going to start doing is each week from next week is opening a box. And it will be our Advent for the day leading up to eventually Christmas Day. And, and so next week we're going to start that um, and we're going to be preaching from the themes behind each box. Uh, don't worry, we know what the themes are. It's not like a game show where it's like, ladies and gentlemen, let's see what you've got to preach today. <laughs> oh, you need to preach on this. Okay, let me figure out what I'm going to say. Uh, we are prepared, but we're going to then be preaching into each theme over the next few weeks as we count down each Sunday toward Christmas, where we then celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now, now, Jesus was born in Bethlehem at a young, and then at a young age, he left Bethlehem and went to the town of Nazareth where he grew up. Um, and before entering his three years of public ministry that would change the world, he first appeared and was introduced to the public by a guy called John the Baptist. You see, while he grew up in Nazareth, we don't know much about his life for those 30 years. Then suddenly at the age of 30, as he steps into his three years of public ministry, he, he's ushered in by the voice of the, the, the apostle John, who says in John chapter 1, 25, the look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus shows up after living in Nazareth 30 years, and the first thing that's declared over him as he walks into the public eye for his three years of ministry is, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You see, the Son of God became man to enable men to become sons of God. And we spoke about that at the end of last year, Christmas. So as Jesus began his ministry now, he called the first disciples, and among them was a man called Philip. And Philip was so excited at the invitation to follow Jesus, Jesus, that he went to invite a friend called Nathaniel to join him. And he said to this friend Nathaniel in John chapter 1 verse 45, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. He's like, whoa, Nathaniel, come bro, we found him. Like, like we've been trusting and waiting for this moment. Philip was telling Nathaniel that the prophecy for Israel from Isaiah, given 700 years before, that they had been waiting for as a nation had now been fulfilled, as Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, where it says, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This was like he was going to Nathaniel saying, we've just found the king. 
The one we've waited for so long that would bring the salvation and deliverance we trusted for is here. You see, this was supposed to be one of the greatest signs of God's promise being fulfilled. But Nathaniel's first reaction to this invitation to behold the Savior of Israel is, Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? As I, we're like on the mountain right now. He's here, huh? Nazareth, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Why did Nathaniel say this? Because in Jesus' day, Nazareth was an undesirable place for a Jew to grow up. In fact, Nazarene was virtually a synonym for despised. Why would the place of despise be where the Savior was birthed from? See, the places Nathaniel despised were the very places from which his deliverer would arise to fulfill the promise. So Philip's response to Nathaniel's doubt and despising was this. Okay, come and see for yourself. But you don't believe me. Okay, then get, come and see for yourself. And then we read from verse 47. It says, as they approached, Jesus said, Now here is a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Then Nathanael exclaimed, Whoa, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Nathanael found the fulfillment of God's promise, Israel's deliverer, in the very place he had despised. And for us today, we need to be aware that the places we despise often become the places in which we discover God and experience his deliverance. Think about how things work out with God. You know, deserts produce streams. Tombs write the testimonies of resurrection power. The places we despise often become the place in which we discover God and experience his deliverance. We heard that in the stories today about a man spending four days in a psych ward because he attempted to take his own life. But this isn't only true of places, it's true of people. Think about the Pharisees who despised the very person they were seeking in Jesus. The Pharisees were looking for the return of God and he came born in the flesh of a man that spent too much time with tax collectors and prostitutes. He didn't meet their religious expectations. So they rejected and despised the very person they were pursuing. But there's someone else that we can tend to despise, robbing us of the fullness of life God promises us, ourselves. Sometimes we are our own greatest enemy. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? (laughs) Can anything good come out of me? I mean... Anything good come out of my failed relationships or or my bad habits? In a psychology article I was reading, they said, it's a painful reality that much of what limits us in our lives is our own feelings of unworthiness and self-hatred. 
But instead of recognizing this voice as the destructive enemy that it is, we mistake it for a real point of view and we believe what it tells us about ourselves. We can very easily reject God's work of deliverance in our lives because we despise ourselves. Oh, God, how can you? Oh, you can't do that for me, God. Oh, you, know, you know what I've done. You know how I've failed. Oh, God, I haven't been to church. So, oh, you know, God, I'm not like all Christian like that other guy across the road that got the perfect family. Oh, God, you know I went through a painful divorce. Oh, God, you know that I suffered depression. That's not face. So how can I be? We can very easily reject God's work of deliverance in our lives because we despise ourselves. Imagine if Nathaniel chose, based on his assumption, that because he despised Nazareth, it wasn't even worth, worth going to meet Jesus. Now, in Luke chapter 5, 11 to 24, Jesus was telling a parable, um, and he was speaking to the Pharisees, and he was contrasting God's unconditional love with their exclusiveness. And it speaks into this issue of the areas of who we are we despise in ourselves. And it says this from Luke chapter 15, 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. A man had two sons. The youngest son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to, to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses... He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, uh, Father, uh, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father's servant, but his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill a calf. We've been fattening. We must just celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Woo! Yeah, I'm so glad Jesus likes parties. So let's go back to the idea of often despising ourselves and how that can disrupt the very things God wants to do. This young son messed up badly, losing everything and ending up in a place that reflected the way he would have thought about himself. A pig in a pigsty. You must understand 
that in this context, not only was there the visual mess of mud in this man's life, but also the internal mess. Because as Jews, they considered pigs to be unclean, corrupting the holiness of God's people. Well, I'm not holy enough. I'm not good enough. You know, I don't have it all together like those other Christians in that church thing. One day my neighbor sat down with me, not a follower of Jesus, and said, can people like me come to your church? Because we find ourselves feeling like we are in the pigsty externally and internally. This man would have looked at his life, this young son. He would have looked at himself saying, as Nathaniel had said, can anything good come out of my sinful, messy, broken life? He despised himself. And he viewed his worth as less than sonship to his father. He said when thinking about what he could say to his dad, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. How often do we feel this way about ourselves? Can anything good come out of a life like mine? Yeah, God, I know like you have blessings for people and you have a promise and you want, but God, can anything good come out of a life like mine? God, people don't know that stuff about, they don't know, can anything good come out of a life like mine? But while in the middle of his mess, this young son did have a choice. And he could have quit even trying to go home because he despised himself so much. Or he could have thought himself so unworthy there was no point. Or, he could do what Philip told the doubtful Nathaniel to do. Come and see. You know, right now, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're sitting here and you've walked in here, you've been dragged in here, you don't feel worthy, you don't feel you match up to the idea of the Christian encyclopedia of what it means to be a perfect person. I want you to know right now in Southside Church, we don't, we don't, we don't minister out of blessing, we minister out of brokenness. You know? Uh, like Jacob, who, who had his hip dislocated, but it was part of the process of blessing, walked away with a limp, and his testimony was found in his imperfection. Because the, the Word of God says, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And, and so, so, come and see for yourself. Scripture tells us then that this young son, it says, came to his senses. Like, it's like, okay. Okay, I'll go and see. So the son chose to go and see for himself if there was any chance of him at least being a slave in his father's house. Now maybe you're here and you want to give up on even coming to see whether God finds you worthy. But I want to encourage you not to give up. I want to encourage you to come and see because our worth is not created by what we do. It's discovered by what Christ has done. You don't create your worth. Well, um, I've got a business. Hallelujah. The Lord has blessed me. Uh, and uh, I have five Ferraris and I give millions to the poor. Well, you're successful. You've made something of yourself. The weird thing about that idea of making something of yourself is that your worth is never created by what you do. It's discovered by what Christ has already done. 
And the young son experienced this as he chose to go and see what his options might be at home. And it says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Remember what happened in John chapter 1 when Nathanael said to Jesus, how do you know about me? And Jesus said, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip even found you. Jesus, just as Jesus saw Nathanael before Philip found him, and the father saw his son while still a long way off. God sees you and me, even if we've drifted away, carrying the dirt of bad decisions. He still sees you in this place. Well, I'm here, but you know, the whole faith thing, I was into it, but bad things happened in my life and I could clearly see God wasn't with me or didn't care about me. You might have just been wrestling with God in the darkness and the shadow might have not been the devil, but God himself. And the dislocated hip, which you thought was harm, was actually just hurting, but the blessing was there. And so you're going, well, you know what? I don't even know about this faith thing anymore. I don't know what I believe anymore. And you've walked away. I want you to know this, that God still sees you, even if you've drifted away. And even if you're carrying the mace of bad decisions today, God still sees you. And where we despise the mud of our mess ups, God, like the Father in this parable, sees you and me as a masterpiece worth running after. And Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. Where the sun saw only mud, and try to make excuses, his father ran toward him because he saw a masterpiece. Isaiah 43 verse 4 has been a scripture that God's been speaking to me about finding my own worth. And he declares, you are precious to me. You are honored and I love you. If you drop something that's precious to you into mud, you don't reject it. Because it's messy. You seek to find it and clean it and restore it and protect it. And this is the way God responds to us even when we despise ourselves. The verse continues, filled with love and compassion, the father ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, here we go, he's coming with his excuses now, you know. His father doesn't really care about the muddy mess that he's trying to excuse because, man, he's just got his masterpiece back. But he's coming with his little confession and he's trying to find a way to sliver in there as a slave at least because his worth, he thinks, has to be created. He doesn't realize he's going to discover it in his father's response to his failures. And, and, and it says, Father, um, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. This younger son confessed he had sinned before his father, believing his confession was evidence of his unworthiness. But 1 John 1 verse 9 in the New Testament tells us that if we confess our sins to him, that he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us like the masterpiece under the mud from all wickedness. So often we turn away from God despising our sin and we believe our sin has made us unworthy. But I want you to hear this now. Our confession of sin before God is not confirming the sinner we despise in ourselves but affirming the masterpiece worthy of salvation through the sacrifice of God's Son. 
that just messes us up. So we come to confess because God, I'm so messed up. I'm not worthy. And he says, my child, when you confess in your failure, all you're doing is affirming the masterpiece worthy of my salvation through my son for you. And Jesus expressed this truth in the response of the father to the son's confession. But his father said to the servants, regardless of all your mighty mess, but the father, he wasn't worried about that. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf. We have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. The son discovered that no matter how much he despised himself, his father was only interested in his deliverance. And as you look at yourself, your failures, your muddy mistakes, your weaknesses and sin, I want you to remember this one thing today that has made me weep during the week. The person you despise, Christ died for. And Jesus is evidence of your value to God. person you despise in yourself Christ died for and and, and Jesus is the evidence of your value to God because on your life your, your muddy messy life with all your failures that you thought have disqualified you the price tag on that life is Jesus himself You are worthy in God's sight. And where all you see is mud, God sees a masterpiece. Don't reject God's work of deliverance in your life because you despise yourself. And as we land, we earlier read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 that says, you are God's masterpiece. But if we step back two verses, we get more context. And it tells us this. God saved you by His grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done. You're going to create your worth. Salvation isn't determined by the good things we have done. So none of us can boast. For we are God's masterpiece. Would you close your eyes with me in this place this morning? Father, we come before you. My God, I ask that you would forgive us for despising ourselves in moments where we feel what we've done has been unpleasing or failed you. Father, forgive us for finding our worth in the things we do instead of seeing it through your eyes because of what Christ has done. And God, I ask that Holy Spirit right now in this place, you would begin to break the dangerous patterns of thinking that have led us to believe we are unworthy of you, of your will, of your blessing and your love. I pray, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, that you would begin to transform us by renewing our minds. Lord, I ask that you would lavish your forgiveness, grace, and mercy 
over every individual in every area of their darkness, their doubt, their sin, their failures, and their, their, their regrets. Father, breathe your spirit. Let your love anchor us in an identity that's not defined by what we do, but what you've done. And my God, I pray that as we leave here, we will live out of love instead of trying to live to receive it. Right now, Holy Spirit, your peace, your grace.